Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's... That's right. That's right. What a day. What a week. You know, it's great. I had this thought. There's seven days in a week, and one of those days is Sunday. And on that day, you can listen to Classic Gaming Brothers. Yes, you can. We can represent. What is one out of seven? Well, a little under 15%. It's about 14%. 14% of your week could be filled Classic Gaming Brothers Day. Every week for the last four years. It's pretty good. We are pretty good. That's right. I, I wouldn't say we're excellent. No. I also wouldn't say that we're horrible. No. I would say we're decidedly mediocre. You know, we are like average, but we're a little above it. I would say we are above average. We're like the podcast that you listen to between other good podcasts and always forget that we are a thing and then remember we're a thing and realize that we released a bunch of episodes while you forgot about us yes yeah but you come back and you're still like wow those two guys are still doing it nobody listens (laughs) if good podcasts were were nordstrom and bad podcasts were bobs were decidedly marshall's yeah with the same whole you don't even know what you're gonna get every time you walk into an episode (laughs) That's right. You know, sometimes you walk in and you're like, wow, this is exactly what I anticipated from the Classic Gaming Brothers. And other times it's about Pepsi. (laughs) That's right. That's our best episode downloaded so far. 99% of all downloads come from Pepsi Man. Yeah. If you uh, haven't listened to Pepsi Man yet and you want to know about some Pepsi Man, head on back and go back through our archives and listen to it. Anyway, let's get into the actual show. Zach, what have you been recently been playing? Seth, recently I've been playing Power Slave Exhumed. Now, the original Power Slave, also called Exhumed in Europe, was released in 1999 for DOS, PS1, and Sega Saturn. In 2021, Night Dive Studios released a remastered version called Power Slave Exhumed with a little colon. So it took the North American name, the European name, and combined them into one name. Uh, And I picked that up during the fall sale on Steam for a couple bucks. It usually runs, I believe, like MSRP 15 bucks. Power Slave Exhumed is a first-person shooter, per the style of game I usually play, uh, where you play as a dude who has entered into an Egyptian tomb in the city of Karnak and awakens the spirit of King Ramses. Ramses then tells you to go to different parts of Egypt to collect items, and you do so. And when you go there, you have to fight mummies, and bugs with guns. Is this King's Ramsey's the OG or King's Ramsey number two? He's a giant floating head. Well, King's Ramsey number two is the Ramsey that everyone remembers. It's probably number two then. Do you know why he's the one that everyone remembers? Because he was a vandal. Ah, uh, was he? Yes. King's Ramsey II deemed that he should just put his name on all the artifacts and the temples that were built. He created the most Egyptian monuments because he relabeled them. Yeah, I mean, it was probably easy to relabel stuff that Ramsey's the first put up because you just put a two next to it. Oh, him. yeah. But he re- he relabeled other people's <laughs> monuments, like things that had nothing to do with his line. You know what? When you're king, you can do stuff like that. So even if it was King's Ramsey the single in <laughs> the first in uh, Power Slave Exhumed, now it's Ramsey the second because he came back in time and rewrote this episode. Brought to you by Ramsey's, Ramsey's the second. second. 
he is represented by a giant floating head that talks to you and tells you to do things. Specifically, he tells you to go to other parts of Egypt to collect objects that are like important to him. I don't know. Like the first thing I got was a pair of shoes that made me jump better, which apparently were like the shoes of Ramses or something. I don't know. It's a very interesting game. It's kind of a unique game at these very big levels that you can explore multiple times. So if you go through them the first time and you don't quite find everything, you can revisit them with your upgraded abilities, such as a higher jump or other different abilities that you can collect and get to different parts of the level you couldn't get to before. Um, So it kind of allows you to uh, take on these levels in a different way. One thing I also liked is the fact that all ammo is assigned to one pickup. So you pick up either red spheres, which give you health, or blue spheres, which give you ammo. And it depends on which weapon you're holding. So if you are holding your pistol and you pick up blue spheres, you will collect more ammo for your pistol. But if you're not holding your machine gun and it's out of ammo, you won't collect up any ammo for the machine gun. So you have to swap to the guns that are low on ammo in order to fill those up. That's a little annoying, but it does add a bit of challenge to the game in terms of like management of ammo and ammo can be scarce in terms of what you find. So far, I'm fairly early in the game. Most of the enemies I've encountered have been uh, spiders, scorpions, and jackals. Um, Well, they're more like Anubises. They're like walking, talking jackals. Um, But later in the game, you'll encounter like mummies and stuff like that. Now, the Night Dive version is also pretty unique in the sense that it combines the PC version with elements of the Sega Saturn and PlayStation versions of the game, which were different than the PC version. The Saturn and the PlayStation version have different level structures because those systems could not handle the way the PC levels were designed. So they had to redesign a bunch of stuff. So the Night Dive version combines everything. Also, the Saturn version, I believe, had some unique power-ups. So they added those power-ups into the PC version of Power Slave Exhumed. So it's pretty cool. It's kind of an overall package. If you want to play Power Slave, this is the version to play. And yeah, that's what I've been recently playing. Uh, Seth, what have you been recently playing? Uh, recently, I've been playing Lego Brick Tales, which was developed not by Traveler Tales, who does most of the other Lego <laughs> games. It was developed by Clockstone, which is the same development studio that's behind all the Bridge Constructor games. So if you like Bridge Constructors, they made a Lego game. It ended up getting published by Thunderful Publishing, and it's a fully licensed Lego game. It's a puzzle adventure game where you actually spend a lot of time building things like bridges and helicopters and all sorts of fun stuff to accomplish puzzles and to get along and find collectibles. So you play as this child of a scientist and the scientist owns a theme park that is in disarray and the health inspector is coming and is going to write him up for having a disarrayed theme park. So you have to fix the theme park and in order to do this you need to collect happiness and energy from people who you rescue so you use a portal and you have a flying robot and you travel through different dioramas they're like uh motifs and you have to rescue people so like the first area is a jungle and there's a crashed plane and you have to go rescue them uh you have to rescue the pilot you have to rescue the reporter that went with them and you have to rescue the archaeologist and then um and you have to build things to get to the arch like the archaeologist is on a balcony and you have to build like a reinforcement to the balcony so the balcony doesn't collapse the pilot is trapped in a cave so you have to use like puzzle mechanics to get the pilot out and the journalist was stuck on a tree high on a mountain and you 
you have to build like a helicopter to fly up and um, bring them down through um, building bridges and like like a chair ride. Um, it's pretty cool. I really like the puzzle aspect because you have to build these Lego creations brick by brick and hope that it solves the problem that you're like, you have to build a bridge and the bridge could break. And it's, it's cool. It's very casual, very, there's not punishment for getting something wrong. You just keep building until you get it right. And then once you build something, you can go back and you can make it prettier and it can exist in the world with more color and more pieces my tough stuff tends to be a little like janky as long as it works it works and then i don't go back and fix it but yeah i've been having a, a lot of fun time playing the lego brick tales been playing on my steam deck installed on my steam deck and it's been kind of like my casual go-to game while just kind of like hanging out and not necessarily wanting to crack into like more of Baldur's gate or just wanting to like just play a game for like half hour hour i can kind of play lego brick tales a lot of fun I really enjoy it. Recommend checking it out if you like Legos. So like I like it more for the building aspect, which you don't do a lot of in the Traveler Tales Lego games. The Traveler Tale Lego games, you tend to just blast people and collect pieces and stuff like that. This game is a little bit more of like a puzzler, which so if you enjoy puzzler type games, you may enjoy Lego Brick Tales. So check it out. Also, if you like the bridge construction games, they did those. So it's got similar mechanics. <laughs> All right, so getting into today's episode, we here at Classic Gaming Brothers HQ love our Sega consoles. We've also covered pretty much a majority of them. We talked about the Sega Genesis and Mega Drive back in episode 7, a long time ago. We talked about the Dreamcast in episode 38. Uh, we talked about the Saturn in episode 40, the Game Gear in episode 66, the Sega CD in episode 89, the Master System in episode 93, and also we've covered various other games and add-ons, like the Mega Net and the uh, Sega channel and such we did a dedicated episode to the sega channel we did we did i forgot what episode that was i did my research on our own episodes but i didn't go that far that's yeah, that's too far into the archives it gets dusty down there it sure does it sure does but there are two that we haven't really talked about we haven't really talked about the 32x beyond a brief mention when we covered the sega saturn as its history with the saturn is pretty much tied together but we haven't talked about the sega pico so today we're talking about the sega pico now to get into the history the sega pico came out at an interesting time. For the most part, edutainment hardware was already readily available in the market. And for those who may not know, the Pico is very much edutainment hardware. It is designed to be educational and fun. At the time of the Pico's release, there were already a few pieces of hardware out in the market, though they had been out for a number of years. They released the Socrates, and they also released the PC Pal. LJN had put out the Video Art, which was kind of like if MS Paint was a dedicated plug-in system. Viewmaster released something called the Interactive Vision, and there were also a variety of other educational electronic toys that had been out from Texas Instruments since as early as the 1970s. I mean, Speak and Spell was a Texas Instruments device. The market was there for educational video game systems, and Sega was ready to tackle that market. Now, instead of going in and developing an entirely new system, Sega did what Sega does, and re decided to reuse some old hardware they already had, specifically the hardware of the Sega Genesis. It used a Motorola 68000 clocked in at 7.6 MHz, the same as the Sega Genesis. It had 64 kilobytes of RAM and 64 kilobytes of VRAM, the same 
same as the Sega Genesis, and it had a Texas Instruments SN76489 sound generator, which the Sega Genesis also had. Unlike the Sega Genesis, however, it lacked a Z80 coprocessor, and it did not have a Yamaha YM2612 sound chip. Also unlike the Sega Genesis, it had an added sound chip, an NEC ADPCM chip from one of Sega's arcade boards that they had put out. Did it have blast processing? Oh no. No blast processing? Not that I'm aware of. Wasn't blast processing just marketing? It was pretty much just marketing, beyond the fact that the Sega was like quick, like you could play Sonic on it. Arguably nowadays people figured out that you could also put Sonic on the Super Nintendo, because someone did like create a proof of concept. We're going to say it did have blast processing. Anyway, all this tech basically meant that the Pico is basically a Sega Genesis, but in a new case. And this case looks nothing like any video game system of the time. For one thing, it folded up like a laptop which meant this system was mostly luggable and could be brought around to people's houses if you wanted to. You could also pretend that you were going to the office as a child and use your uh, Sega Pico as your work computer. It did not have an independent screen, so it still required to be plugged into a TV. Uh, And according to a blog post on segabits.com, it is possible to get a Pico game to play on a Sega Genesis, but as the Pico is missing the Z80 microprocessor and the YM2612, 12 sound synthesizer it is not possible to play a genesis game on a pico so it's like uh rectangles and squares all genesis's are picos but not all picos are genesis Uh, basically yeah also the blog notes that while playing a pico game on the genesis could work you can't control the game as you would have not have access to some of the pico's unique controls now another unique feature is that there are no controllers rather a flat surface on one half of the unit that can be used as a tablet with a magical pen and four colorful buttons that can be used for various other functions in the game once again this is designed for children to play educational type games yeah you're not doing any hardcore gaming on this thing yeah and like hardcore gaming we're talking about like no sonic 2 or no rocket knight no rocket knight all altered beasts the upper part of the case has a space for you to insert the cartridge but these cartridges are very different than um the other video games in the market uh, as they are storybooks the cartridge contains a booklet that can be paged through with each of the page being able to control action on the screen. The way this is done is by light sensors that get blocked by the pages. As you turn the page, the sensors are unblocked and a signal is sent to the console. The last page of this booklet could also be used by the magical pen, which allowed for additional functionality. The Pico was targeted towards children, specifically within the age range of three to seven years old. As such, much of the design scheme is built around this demographic. There are no loose parts, electronic components are well hidden, and the overall design is more reminiscent of a toy than a games console which is interesting because during this time game consoles were pretty deemed as toys this thing looks like a fisher price toy yes right right big colorful blue the buttons are like these big big buttons and stuff like that man if you were the cool uncle you'd buy this for your niece or nephew instead of that fisher price game controller <laughs> that everybody buys according to the same segabits.com blog post the name of the pico comes from the metric prefix Pico, meaning one trillionth. Similarly, how mega is the metric prefix for one million. The system would go on to be released in Japan in 1993 and in the U.S. market in 1994 with the slogan, 
the computer that thinks it's a toy. There were over 300 games released for the Pico, with all of them being primarily targeting the demographic of the console itself. Many of the games were based on pre-existing IPs, with some titles being released based on the Sonic the Hedgehog franchise, the Berenstain Bears, Winnie the Pooh, the Muppets, the Magic School Bus, and Disney characters like Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck. In Japan, some of the games were exclusive there, but would have IPs that included Lego. Uh, for some reason, the Lego game for the Pico did not come out in the US, it came out only in Japan. They also had uh, Hello Kitty games, game based on Magic Knight Ray Earth, which was a an anime, games based on the Tokusatsu series Kamen Rider 555, and also the Tokusatsu series Gekusua Sentai Karanger, and uh, various other IPs, like there's like a Godzilla game for the Pico. Pico games are pretty much always simple in nature, uh, and that's not like a criticism, that's just like a fact. When you look at gameplay of Pico games they have like one or two things that you're doing for like each gameplay loop most of the gameplay centered around the magic pen that you're using with levels changing by the use of the storybook pages so for example in the game echo jr in the great treasure hunt you must solve various puzzles based on tasks like matching colors putting together a puzzle or word association it shows you a word you pick the object in sonic's game world uh you play various carnival games for example there's a race where you must play skee-ball to make your character go faster, a simple go-karting game where you must beat Dr. Robotnik, or a crane game where you have to collect various characters from the series. There's also Tales in the Music Maker, which was primarily based around puzzles associated with music, like playing musical chairs with frogs, a pinball game where you collect musical notes, and a version of Breakout where you break blocks that have music symbols on them. Now interestingly enough, in 2002, some new Pico games were released based on the Pokemon IP. These would actually be the only Pokemon games to ever be released on a Sega console, and also by nature, the only official Pokemon games to not be released on a Nintendo console until the release of Pokemon Go in 2016. The gameplay of those Pokemon games, it's all the same. I mean, it's literally just educational games where you're doing like one or two tasks. Uh, one of the games, Pokemon Advanced Generation, is a writing game. All you're doing is writing Japanese characters. It was a Japanese exclusive game, so you're just writing characters. That's it. Um, and there are Pokemon characters that like watch you write your Japanese characters. Now, when the system came to the US in 1994, it was sold at a price point of $160, which if you think about it in today's money, it's about 330 bucks. It would go on to get reduced to $139 and simultaneously the cartridges were sold for around $39 to $49, depending on the title. The system by the end of 1995 reportedly sold around 400,000 units. And as of 2005, Sega claims that allegedly 3.4 million Pico consoles were sold, which sounds like a big number. 3.4 million units. Let's go back in time and look, look to see what the Sega Genesis sold, which by 2001 had sold 40 million units, which is a lot more than 3.4. In all fairness, the Sega was out for longer, but it still sold so much more for the amount of time it was out, which like even if the pico had the same amount of time that the sega genesis was out it would not have made 40 million <laughs> yeah you're you're looking at a throughput um let's see because the genesis was 89 um so that's 2001 40 million divided by 12 is about 3.3 million a year a year yeah where the sega pico was doing about 300,000 since it's about 300,000 a year 
and they said that the first year they sold 400,000, they probably never capped 400,000 again. Genesis definitely did what the Pico didn't. 3.4 million Pico consoles, that's not terrible, but compared to the Genesis, you can see why Sega might not have been impressed. Poor sales would lead Sega to decide to stop production of the console themselves and license the system out to a company called Majesco, who would then re-release a unit for $49.99 in North America in 1999. And I would be pissed if I bought the $160 Pico and then they were like, well, bargain bin it. $160 Pico from five years before that? <laughs> Like literally yeah. from 1994 to 1999, it dropped almost a hundred dollars in price. And I guarantee you, they were in like those big drop bins and like a hundred percent KB yeah. toys yeah. with like the red sticker on them. Now 49.99, ten percent off. Or even more. Like KB Toys is like 20 bucks, take it. A Chinese version of the console would also go on to be launched in 2002. Now, while the console was praised with one review from the Washington Times stating that the Pico has enough power to be a serious learning aid, internally at Sega, they saw the product as a failure. Despite being a failure overall, the Pico did win some awards. It, it won the National Parenting Seal of Approval and a Platinum Seal Award and the gold medal from the National Association of Parenting Publications Award. So if you were a parent and you didn't want to buy the Sega Genesis for your family, you could buy the Pico and have them be disappointed instead. <laughs> That's true. Now, in terms of its legacy, the Pico is often compared to later released systems like those produced by Leapfrog and VTech. Despite Sega's own view that the console was a failure, it was successful enough to be launched globally and see, again, relatively decent sales, something that arguably educational systems aren't really able to do. Some people do have fond memories of the Pico, with former Sega of America Vice President Joe Miller stating in an interview with Sega 16 that he named his dog after the console. Mi Miller also stated in the same interview that, quote, I'm also proud of the fact that we got into the spirit of building a broader audience than just the stereotypical core gamer. While it may not have been directly influenced by the Pico, in 1994, Sega released games in the quote-unquote Sega Club line for the Sega Genesis, which primarily were targeting the same demographic. One of these games was Wacky Worlds, which is basically just the Sega version of Mario Paint. Some other games, though, included Sesame Street Counting Cafe, Math Blaster Episode 1, there were no other episodes, Richard Scary's <laughs> Busy Town, and Echo Jr. But there were other Math Blasters. There were, but not for the Sega Genesis. The Sega Genesis only got Math Blaster Episode 1. They realized they hit a crescendo and didn't need any other, any other episodes. Imagine buying an episodic game and having zero other episodes. It's like the Lord of the Rings game for the uh, Super Nintendo, which is called Volume 1 and there was no Volume 2. Oh, yeah. That game is, the game literally is unfinished. Like, it's only half the story. What about the, remember that Lord of the Rings PC game? We should the do one for an DOS. episode on We'll yes. do an episode on Lord of the Rings games. Now, a new version of the Pico called the Advanced Pico Bina was released in 2005 and had games released for it as late as 2011, and the system was officially discontinued in 2013. The system looks a lot like the original Pico, but is visibly thinner. Uh, the Bina was not released outside of Japan, and it also has way more horsepower than the original unit. First off, it has a 32-bit ARM 7TDMI CPU clocked in at 81 megahertz and 16 megabytes of RAM. 16 megabytes? 
Now, the system also featured compatibility with an SD card reader. However, the Bina, unfortunately, is not backward compatible with the original Pico, so you can only play Bina games. The Bina sold badly. It was only released in Japan, and it barely sold well there. Sold about 150 units after its first year, and in total, sold around 350 units by the time it was discontinued in 2013. So that is the Pico and its legacy. I think the Pico is a fascinating piece of Sega history because I think it's kind of like a forgotten piece of Sega history. People don't really talk about the like weird educational subsections of of these game companies. And I think it's interesting when you have these game companies that really want to broaden their market. As Joe Miller said, he was proud of the fact that they built this broader audience. You know, you weren't just appealing to older kids. You were also appealing to parents and subsequently younger children. You know, it's easier to sell a console to parents when you are trying to be like, well, these games aren't violent and they're going to teach your kids something. At the same time, though, I feel like Sega really shot themselves in the foot by releasing the Sega Club line at the same time, because that would definitely have diverged attention away from the Pico. Because if you think about it, if you already own a Sega Genesis, why would you buy another Sega system just so your children can play games when they are releasing pretty much those games for the system you already own. Right. Like, I'm not saying that the Pico didn't sell well because of the Sega Club line. I think the Pico didn't sell well because it didn't sell well. But I'm, I'm saying, I think Sega always shoots itself in the foot. <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. say that they did that again. This is not the first time that Sega kind of was their own worst enemy. I mean, just look at the 32X and the Saturn and the and the Sega CD and the Saturn. Like, they constantly got in their way. But I heard that they were recently talking about doing something new. But in, like, 2023, Sega yeah. came out with an announcement that they have plans for the future, uh, which is great. I think that's the first time that Sega has actually had plans for the future. Yeah. I also do think the Sega Pico wasn't advertised well. Like, I don't remember the Sega Pico being advertised, and I would have been somewhat cognizant during its few years on the market in the U.S. You would have been more cognizant in the years it was running. Yeah. No, I just wanted a Genesis. <laughs> yeah. And we got one. During the age range that this pico was marketed towards me i wanted a genesis yeah like it was part marketing to kids that are like six and i was like i don't want a fisher price toy i want to play rocket knight on the sega genesis anyway getting into um our retro rewind seth really wanted to keep in the theme of educational games so he had me play mario is missing mario is missing originally came out in 1993 for ms dos super nintendo and the nes i played the super nintendo version the game is actually really nostalgic for me a family friend of ours had a super nintendo and i used to play mario's missing on it all the time though back then i couldn't really read so i would just play the part of the game where you jumped on the koopas basically when you start up mario is missing you walk up to bowser's castle and mario falls down a trap door and luigi decides now i have to find mario so he goes into bowser's castle and he begins exploring it and when you enter into doors in bowser's castle it sends you to part of the real world so you'll enter a door in Bowser's castle and you will end up in Rome or you'll end up in New York City. And when you get there, it's flooded with Koopas. There's just so many Koopas everywhere. And when you jump on them, sometimes they drop an object. And that object is usually a missing object from that level. And then you have to learn more about that object talk to a person and take a quiz and then give them back the object. The thing that confuses me the most is so in like I was in the Rome level, right? The problem with the Rome level is that the Colosseum is missing 
a gladiator spear. So the Colosseum is closed to the public because they are missing one thing. So you find the gladiator spear, right? Some Koopa has it. Then you go and give it to the lady. And the lady says, great, thank you. But now you have to prove that that's truly the gladiator spear. And then she asks you just general questions about the Colosseum. So she's like, to prove this is the actual spear how many people could fit inside the coliseum and if you get that question wrong she says i knew you were lying come back to me at a different time and you have to like wait and then come back to her and then answer her questions correctly to prove that you have the spear i I just think that's kind of funny like the idea that like you bring this like forgotten object to someone and you're like i found this object and the person's like ah great now answer me these riddles three. It's like if yes. like someone's like, I can't find my car keys and you find their car keys, you go up to them and you're like, I found your car keys. And they're like, amazing. Tell me, how many gallons does my car take in gasoline <laughs> to prove that these are my car keys? But I feel like it's definitely in, in theme with the Mario world. I guess like, so. I feel, like the people in, in, I feel like the people in Mario world would do that kind of stuff. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> they do that they, kind of garbage. They're They're silly in the Mario world. Anyway, in the game, uh, you play as Luigi and you're going around looking for clues about why Mario is in fact missing. And you also have to solve all these problems in these different places. Wait, I've got a question. Is it about what these problems have to do with Mario's missing? Yeah, yeah. so Mario's missing and also you learn that there are historical objects that were stolen. But Mario's been kidnapped. (laughs) He's not really missing. Again, this is the whole thing that we're talking about with the president is missing. Oh, yes, yes. We know where Mario is. Like, he has to be in bowser's castle he falls down a trap door when you start the game so he's he's got to be in there somewhere why is mario's kidnapping not the priority (laughs) well because luigi obviously doesn't care that much oh so it'd be like if you were missing (laughs) yeah well let's be like if i was missing but you also had to solve the world's problems yeah wouldn't want that to happen i feel bad for the world what does is carmen san diego in the uh involved no that would be a great tie-in there are um like every person who runs the information desks that you have to drop off the uh, object you find does look like princess peach just wearing blue uh it's oh, info. That's so it's, it's probably just the reused sprite kind of like the pokemon yeah uh, kind of like like nurse, nurse joy yeah 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 anyway next week seth you can play super star wars for the super nintendo sweet zach had me play something a little different but still educational uh he had me play sim earth the living planet uh sim earth was released in 1990 for dos windows and mac it would be later released for various other consoles such as the turbo graphics and all that and it even came to the snes it is a life simulation game and the first maxis game that wasn't a SimCity game so if you played a bunch of SimCity games and were looking forward to their next game and they made sim earth and you thought it was like super sim city oh boy were you in for a treat because it wasn't in the game you control earth or you control another planet like your own planet or it could be a random planet in the solar system like Pluto when Pluto was still a planet you can control it Uh, and you decide everything about this planet and you can get as like micro as possible so you can control like hey you know maybe we have more water over here rain over here you can see like maybe this is where life starts to form like plankton and the plankton evolves into like fish and stuff like that and then you can also control things like hurricanes or comets and you could just pelt the planet with comets so if you wanted to have like a species get evolved out of fish and become like humans and then you could just nuke them with comets uh, you could also uh 
then have life get developed and that life could start developing into different ages and they'll grow up into ages and eventually pollute the planet so bad that uh, you, they would kill themselves anyway. But you can also kind of help them and control, like, guide them in a way that makes sure that they don't pollute the planet. And you play the game from the beginning till 10 billion years go by. After that, the sun that the planet is going around becomes a red giant and destroys it. So you can play the game for 10 billion in-game years, not 10 billion real years. But you can play for 10 billion years, and then it's all for naught anyway, because the sun destroys it all. It's a fun, different style of game that really holds up because there hasn't really been anything like this since. Yeah, there really hasn't. I, like, I'm kind of surprised that, um, who's that team behind, like, Planet Coaster? Oh, uh, Frontier. I'm kind of surprised they haven't done, like, Planet. <laughs> you know, just, like, <laughs> instead of Planet Coaster, Planet Zoo, they just do Planet. And it's just Sim Earth. I think it would crash a lot of computers. The thing about Sim Earth is that it wasn't actually marketed as a video game. It was marketed as a creative software so it was uh something that really was something where you weren't supposed to win or lose you were supposed to just have fun with and, and enjoy it i think that the pacing can be a little slow for people who live in 2023 but it's definitely worthwhile and and like i said it's a very unique piece of software next week zach you can play star wars dark forces awesome I love that game. Now, thank you everyone for joining us. If anyone ever actually played the Sega Pico as a child, be sure to send us an email to classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Classic Gaming Brothers, Twitter, CG Brothers Pod, Blue Sky, CG Brothers Pod, or Instagram, Classic Gaming Brothers. I did a little sandwich there. We're also available wherever podcasts can be found, be it iHeartRadio, Podbean, or maybe even iTunes, we're there. Be sure to go to our website, ClassicGamingBrothers.com, if you just want to chill in our lounge. And of course, check out our store and buy some merch because Christmas time is here. And you know what says Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays? Oh, an outdated shirt or mug from Classic Gaming They're Brothers. They're not that outdated. We haven't changed that much. I just grew glasses. That's <laughs> true. You did grow glasses. But we're not changing any of our marketing materials and you can wear glasses in public. Anyway, with that, Seth, is there anything I'm forgetting? Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Seth. And I've been Zach. And we've been the classic gaming brothers. That's... Wait, you did forget something. You did forget something. This episode was brought to you by Ramsey the <laughs> Second.